If you're getting vanity metrics initially, don't gloss over it. Sometimes it's a good reason to kind of really dig deeper because oftentimes you're only getting half the picture. You might surprise yourself. As mentioned before, whatever you do, make sure to always look and make sure that it's pushing you close to your goals and it's not a distraction. Welcome to SaaS Connect, the SaaS Partnership Podcast, brought to you by the Cloud Software Association. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue-generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce a podcast, and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. I help manage business development and partnerships at CloudApp, which is basically an instant video and image sharing platform for companies. It's, again, one of the fastest ways to kind of share what's on your screen, embed GIFs, screen recordings, and kind of share visually what's going on. So a lot of people might wonder, why would a startup like us want to get into developing a channel sales strategy and grow our business development initiatives? Why wouldn't we want to just basically stick to the traditional inbound and outbound sales? So today we'll be kind of chatting with you a bit more about that, about how we scaled our channel growth strategies as a smaller startup and kind of going over what worked, what didn't work, and our journey, our discovery process through this whole situation and some of our initial results. So when I first started, I found that there's this perception of what business development is and the idea of building out a sales strategy or a channel sales strategy isn't really something that a lot of smaller startups typically take on and some say even should take on at our stage and cycle. You know, oftentimes people think there's too much risk, the potential to waste time or finite resources, and nothing to really show for a long period of time as you're building out deals and creating relationships. I don't think this is necessarily always the case. I think if you, it makes sense to take that risk because the initial payoff can be amazing, but it only works if you really go about things in a very methodical way and really test out each potential channel until you find a channel that's a good fit and that matches your product. And I believe that has kind of figured this out a bit <laughs> over the past eight months. So we're small and we're a growing startup with about 25 people running the show. And I think we found a way to really test things out quickly, efficiently, and identify the right channels and partners to kind of work with and really start growing and expanding our business development initiatives. So before CloudApp, <laughs> and like a lot of people starting out in channel sales, I had this notion of what business development actually entailed. I thought it was about meeting interesting people, talking strategy, and all the fun stuff you hear about. As a result, I was really excited and kind of to dive in and kind of grow this area for us. Funny thing I learned is that business development often varies a lot based on industry and sometimes even just based on company as you chat with more people. And as a consequence of this, I found that a lot of people don't necessarily know what you do exactly <laughs> starting out. And the reason why is because as you're beginning and expanding and growing your channel sales strategy, you're kind of doing a little bit of everything. Because I was kind of running it by myself. I was the only person managing business development and partnerships. So I was tapping to different areas. Because of this, I think one of the most important things before you dive right in as a startup is to really make sure that you have buy-in from everyone at the company and they understand the value that you're bringing as you're growing everything. This is a common question you're probably going to hear <laughs> as you talk to people. So especially if your team isn't familiar with business development and is used to the control and the fast results that come about from working directly with customers, business development typically requires a different mindsets and patience as you ramp up and build. So it's extremely important that people understand when you're starting out. So if you're part of a small team like I am, this is especially important because you're not going to have a dedicated marketing person or a dedicated developer helping you develop and craft your and grow your business development initiatives. 
your new channel sales strategies. So as an example, you're going to need help from your marketing team to create new marketing collateral, create new designs, logos that you're going to share with your partners. If you're going down the integrations route, you're going to need to tap into your dev team and either have them help you create a new solution or even act as a technical consultant if you're outsourcing this. For the outbound sales team, oftentimes I'll work with them on larger deals or if we're working with new resellers or bars, they're going to help me onboard them and train them and show them how to actually sell cloud app to their users. So everyone's really dealing with a hundred different tasks. And so your ability to really manage these internal relationships is extremely important. And without this, you're going to learn pretty quickly that you're going to hit roadblocks along the way. So once I had full buy-in, the next step was really putting together some initial experiments to see what might work, what might not work. And I think that's where my research background kicked in. So to create a couple experiments really initially starts off with developing some hypotheses on which partners you really think would make sense and would work for your company. You know, you want some measurable goals that you can actually track and look at. You want to identify basically your why. Why do you want to develop a channel sales strategy? Why does it make sense for you? what and who as would be a good partner for you to work with. You know, you don't want to do the spray and pray approach that, as we found, that doesn't work. <laughs> so in our case, our main goal was to increase the number of business and team accounts and to increase the number of new integrations installed and potentially find new integration partners as well. As a result, our initial focus was affiliates, resellers, distribution partners, VARs, and integration partners as well. So to figure this out for yourself, one of the most important things is to really chat with your team and determine how they're expecting you to contribute to the just the overall pie and what you really need to do to really move the needle forward for your company's overall goals. So once we were able to really determine this, the next step was really nailing down what our revenue model would look like for these different channels. So you really need to figure out what partnering looks like for you. Before you go out, chat with new partners, look for new opportunities, you need to figure out the revenue model that makes sense for these different channels and what partnering essentially will look like for you on their end and your end as well. So this is probably one of the trickier things to initially figure out as we were starting, determining if are you going to share your revenue, to have a revenue sharing stream set up. If so, then what are some decent margins to have in place? What makes sense? What doesn't make sense? If you're going to sell your solution through a reseller or a distributor, are you going to offer volume-based discounts or any discounts to your product? And what would be fair? You know, what would make it more attractive for larger users to go through them? So how we figured this out is basically a ton of informational interviews, meetings, phone calls with resellers, bar systems integrators. We spoke with a bunch of other tech companies that are further along than us that have had a ton of success in channel sales in different areas. And eventually we figured out a decent benchmark that a lot of our partners are pretty happy with. So that was kind of the starting point. Can I get started? Another thing to take into consideration is figuring out how much support you're actually willing and able to provide to your partners. So this is something that really came up a lot during our initial conversations. And we found some bars actually had some, some bad experiences working with smaller startups as they were starting out, where they were either given little to no support or they had to do a lot of the stuff themselves. They're basically given a new solution, a tool, or services to provide without really being given a lot of collateral or onboarding support in the early stages. And I think as a result, some of their relationships suffered as a consequence of that. So on our end, we decided to simplify the process as much as possible for them and make it easy for them to kind of work with us and get started. So this involved a lot of time and effort on our part, which we initially didn't expect. So it's important to figure out how much support you're willing and able to provide to the partners that you're working with. And also, more importantly, being very transparent with them so they know what partnering with you looks like, what they need to provide, what resources are available for it to make sense for them.
This might seem <laughs> obvious, but another thing I want to touch on is don't directly compete with your partners. If you decide to use channel sales, you need to really be prepared to commit to it entirely. And this is something, again, communicating with your team, your sales team, making sure that they understand the terms and how everything is set up. And maybe not taking orders directly and working directly through them, unless there are clear exceptions to this rule. If your channel partners do see you as a direct competitor, they will be less likely to work with you and push your product. Making sure that your sales team understands that because you don't want conflicts that result as maybe people not understanding or someone wanting a quick commission bump. <laughs> thinking no one's going to notice. So yeah, you might get more revenue in the short term, but you're going to take off your partners, ruin relationships, and destroy all that goodwill that you've built up so far. So as an example for us, we have a policy where any new accounts brought in by any resellers, distributors, or any additional seat requests that come up later on are always invoiced through them, right? We're added onto their the invoice to their customer as a line item. And so they process all the procurement and everything. This simplifies everything on our end, because again, we're a smaller team, so we're working on a ton of different stuff. They're able to handle it. And and they're also happy because it allows them to continue building and growing that relationship. Another thing is that I noticed is we're very conscious to not bring too many direct competitors in a small space. We try as much as possible to find compliments, whether it's technology partners that will work with our resellers, bars that can work with our resellers or other people, and really leverage that relationship. And we find that working either with their partners and finding ways to really create a very complementary ecosystem so that everything works out and works smoothly in the early stages. So vanity metrics. <laughs> So we're going to talk about metrics a little bit. I'm not sure about everyone else here, but I love getting numbers when I'm working with things because it really helps me validate what I'm doing and tells me if I'm going down the right road or if I'm going down a rabbit hole. And when you're starting out in channel sales strategies, working on a new potential channel, it might be a little frustrating. At least I found it a little frustrating because you're going to be dealing with a lot of vanity metrics. So clicks, page views, potentially even signups that lead to nowhere. <laughs> and so oftentimes they're not very actionable, but they are still valuable and really helping you better understand your audience and each channel that you're looking at and comparing and basically better to figure out what you should focus on as you review the metrics. And so the number of engagements, like I mentioned, doesn't necessarily correlate to the number of sales, but it does sometimes tell you something and tell you to really dig deeper to see what's going on and why maybe you're getting inconsistent numbers sometimes. It allows you to basically follow the traffic, seeing where it's coming from and where it's going as well. So understanding these in the early days really help you know when to shift your strategy. I think this is probably one of the hardest things to really determine, you know, because it's easier to figure out when you're dealing with a channel like affiliates, where you're getting at least some basic metrics and access to that. But it's often trickier when you're working with bars and systems integrators, for instance, because you're going to be building out developing these relationships, working on deals, and it takes sometimes a while to get that set up, and you're not going to really see any real numbers and metrics until you close your first deal. So since I don't typically want to spend more than several weeks testing things out, reaching out to people in certain areas, I usually like to kind of follow up and make sure that I get feedback regularly and I'm constantly communicating with them. And if typically, if I don't hear anything, I'll kind of just go for the no and just say, does this make sense? Should we keep moving forward? So that I'm not sitting there working on the same thing that may not make sense. So either way, you're going to kind of get an answer if you are constantly working with them, gathering feedback and figuring out where you should focus and closing deals that maybe not don't make sense for you. And so whatever you do, and one of the things I always try and, and remain conscious of is thinking and always asking, is this moving me closer to my goal or just creating distractions? 
we found that you'll have false starts sometimes and some projects that you'll have to be put on hold. Again, my usual indicator is if communication drops off or from our end, if we feel that maybe we don't have the bandwidth for a certain opportunity. And at the end of the day, it's all about transparency and kind of communicating with your partners on what's actually possible and viable working together. And by using this mantra, I've always been able to have a way to kind of really check in and make sure that I'm not wasting time. So I think our journey into affiliates is a good example of looking more closely at vanity metrics and really finding some interesting and unexpected outcomes going through that. So for our affiliate strategy, we initially thought it'd be a really great way to drive more traffic to our websites, more signups, which would eventually lead to sales. So that was the idea. That didn't work out that way <laughs> at all. The earlier presentation said affiliates work well for some people, sometimes not so well for others. So it's something to kind of test out. We initially thought as a result of that, that our affiliate channel basically bombed and that we were going to kind of gloss over it and kind of move on. But as I kind of started looking closer at some of the vanity metrics and kind of following the traffic, we actually did see something kind of interesting. And what that was is we were getting a lot of signups and paid users and we were really paying next to nothing for those leads. But the biggest value had been the, the content our affiliates are creating which is really interesting and we didn't expect. I noticed that a lot of our affiliates are actually really great content creators. They're creating really detailed YouTube videos or creating really detailed blog posts during reviews. And this is content that's being created without our involvement. So they just take the onuses on them and they went ahead and did that. The other day, we actually found another affiliate created a 10-minute review of CloudApp's Windows tool in Greek. <laughs> No one at CloudUp speaks Greek, so we don't know what he's saying. The video quality is amazing, and he put a ton of effort into it. And so it's kind of stuff like that that kind of pops up that, you know, we're not getting a ton of sales leads and making a ton of money off of it, but we're getting some really good content that we're sharing with our international customers and users, which is helpful. So again, if you're getting vanity metrics initially, don't gloss over it. Sometimes it's a good reason to kind of really dig deeper because oftentimes you're only getting half the picture. You might surprise yourself. As mentioned before, whatever you do, make sure to always look and make sure that it's pushing you close to your goals and it's not a distraction. And unfortunately for us, I think the affiliates channel we realized would require like a dedicated person spending a ton of time building it up and managing it. So for us, we decided to kind of shift and focus on building a distribution channel instead. We still do use it. We still use it as a way to find new influencers to maybe run campaigns with and use it to kind of manage reporting and onboarding for some of the new affiliates that we add. So another channel we looked into as well is creating new integration partnerships. The only issue for us, because again, we're a smaller team, is how do you create integrations when your dev team is too busy? <laughs> which is an issue that would keep coming up periodically as I initially started building out our channel sales strategy. And so we're looking at growing the number of our users or integrations and finding that, finding new ones to create. And so we realized that we oftentimes don't have the bandwidth to basically pull one or two developers off a current project to work on a new unproven integration, you know, taking a chance and just crossing fingers and hoping. So what we did is we started focusing on business development without engineering. So I'm not sure how many developers or engineers are in the room or had a previous life in this, but I live Dilbert, and I think this is probably pretty relatable. And so to work with business development without engineering, we came up with something called light integrations. So this is any solution that cloud app links are compatible with, where they'll unfurl, or any text-based tools that our users use that could benefit from visual content or communication or collaboration anyway to explain a process or a workflow. Again, with GIFs, videos, screencasts, or whatnot. Our most popular one so far is Asana. And so we initially went from having four traditional embedded integrations or plugins that had a decent amount of installs to now those four integrations plus 30 light integrations and counting. 
And so the cool thing about it is that our users love this because it shows them how to use CloudUp with other tools currently in their stack. And so they're using it more, they're expanding, it's helping us grow accounts as well. And more importantly, it also allows us to kind of open the door to testing new potential integrations and creating a quick MVP that doesn't require any developers or engineers to kind of set anything up. And we use the metrics, the installs the uh, that we're identifying to justify potentially uh, taking a developer and working on a new integration project and really expanding and growing. So that's been a really amazing way to kind of grow this area without misusing our developers and adding more tasks and responsibilities on their plate. And so as you're talking to partners, it's also important to note that partners with the right incentives are paramount. This is probably one of the harder things to kind of figure out which partners make sense for you because it'll vary. Resellers, we found, and VARs have oftentimes have very different priorities depending on who you talk to. And it's we found that it's very important to make sure that their business philosophy, who they're targeting, who they're working with, aligns with your goals, or at least you're able to work with them and figure out a way to make their jobs easier so that it fits what you're trying to do. Because you're constantly hustling, working, and trying to find new ways to grow. And as the pipeline develops, but your partner's basically focusing on what's paying the bills <laughs> at the end of the day. And what makes sense for them to continue working with you is if there's demand and then they'll basically shift their efforts. So we found focusing on making sure to make their job as easy as possible being the most important thing. So understanding who your ideal partner is, again, one of the most important things. So resellers want to sell something, like I mentioned, that's already in demand. So you might need to create some initial demand, either through current customers that work with the resellers, or help them to find a way to upsell tools that are already in their, their portfolio. And this is our integration strategy kind of came in, because we have integrations for Jira and Zendesk. And so we work with a lot of bars and resellers in that area. We chat with a lot of partners and resellers in that area. So some resellers as well are amazing at selling and marketing new tools and solutions that they add to their portfolio. Others aren't <laughs> sometimes. So you might need to do a bulk of the work initially in the early days. And that's something we didn't fully expect when we got started. But it's something we kind of learned fairly quickly to address to make sure we have the right collateral, the right materials, onboarding, sometimes even offering to sit in on a demo or an onboarding call as they're starting off just to make sure that they're comfortable and that everything is clear. So I'm going to quickly go over our experience finding and building a distribution channel through bars and resellers, which is turning into our primary focus going forward. So we initially approached this by sending out emails to bars and resellers that targeted our market. We got a bunch of interest in responses, which is great, but we found that it wasn't really working. Things weren't really progressing. Things kind of die off. And I think, I believe it didn't work because it was too wide of an audience. We were kind of just reaching out to everybody as a test to see what would happen. So we then decided to kind of really shift focus and focus on Zendesk and Jira or Atlassian bars and resellers as a starting point to kind of focus a bit more because they're our most popular integrations and plugins. And I felt that this would be a good starting point point, theorizing that they would use CloudUp as a way to really upsell their support desk offerings and potentially build services around CloudUp as a group. We found through countless conversations that it actually made sense to tackle one over the other rather than doing like a two-pronged approach. Specifically, it was because a lot of the Atlassian or Jira-focused resellers and VARs, a lot of the solutions they provided were for on-prem support and services. CloudUp, as the name indicates, is a cloud-based solution, so that wouldn't work for us, unfortunately. And so we decided to basically shift and kind of focus on Zendesk for now and grow that channel. And with one of the easier shifts, just because we don't offer currently any on-prem solutions, and that's something we're looking at maybe later down the line. So now I'm focusing more on building out our Zendesk channel as a starting point. And the nice thing is we do have like a list of interested Jira bars and resellers that want to potentially work with us when we do have an on-prem solution. So that's a relationship we built and that will basically just put on a shelf for now.
And the interesting thing is, as we had more conversations with some of our Zendesk resellers and solution providers, I found that a lot of our ideal partners ended up actually being current cloud-up users or people that were referred to us through a current partner, which was interesting because we initially didn't go after any of our current user base thinking that they hear enough from us already, they're not going to want to hear about, hey, do you want to partner with us? And I found that why this was the case was because they got it, they use the tool, they understand the value, they know the use cases, they understand our customer base, and more importantly, I really didn't need to sell or pitch or explain to them why they should partner because they already knew. They understood the tool fully. And more importantly, they had the right incentives and the right customer base, which made it easier. Because of this, we're finding that they are the best advocates, the best educators, and the best partners as a result of that. So the great thing about this process is that with every win and every lost opportunity, you're getting an idea of what your ideal partner looks like and really how to scale that channel that works for you. And I found this was extremely important and useful in terms of figuring out why some opportunities worked and why some opportunities didn't. And you'll be able, by doing this, you're able to kind of figure out when you're chasing down the wrong partners and when to kind of step back and reevaluate. And as we set up more conversations, meetings, we started seeing trends. So the companies that were more responsive, the incentives they're looking for that made sense, incentives that didn't really work for us, and identifying the type of companies that we wanted to work with. We nailed this down, I think, fairly well. And basically, we're able to kind of craft an ideal partner persona based on all the information that we've gathered and the conversations that we've had. And by the end of this discovery process, found that we had an outline of what steps we took, the successes that got us there, and use this to create a scalable process that works for us. As a pipeline kind of grows, you have a way to basically a blueprint of what to do as you test out other channels and a blueprint to actually share with any new team members, any new employees that you onboard. So I kind of basically went over our journey through our discovery process over the last eight months or so. And the result is, more recently, we have three amazing bars that we work very close with as our pilot project. We closed our first deal last month with a growing pipeline, which is amazing. So <laughs> doing something right. And plus, we've gotten a ton of new upgrades, new accounts through a lot of our light integrations. And we're creating, working on a new native integration as a result of that. Thank you uh, again for giving me the opportunity to kind of share my experience. If anyone has any questions or wants to continue the conversation, feel free to email me. And yeah. At what point did you acquire and deploy a PRM system, a partner portal? Right now, we're doing a lot of the tests manually. So how we automate it is through like our email outreach. First, we do use ShareCell for our partner management system for that area. And we acquired that in the summer. We spent about a month setting up and integrating it. But outside of that, we don't have like a dedicated tool to manage it. We're doing everything in a very methodical way, kind of slowly testing things out and then looking for tools to kind of automate and fully scale it. You mentioned in the beginning of your talk, or middle, that you one of the lessons learned was creating partner collateral and that you didn't have the right partner collateral. But also at the end, you said a lot of your partners were fanatical cloud app users. So I was wondering what kind of collateral did you find you had to make because it seemed like they knew the product inside out, but they need something different. So what did they need? I think even regardless of them being a cloud app user, I think the main benefit of that was it's easier for them to explain what cloud app is and demonstrate it and explain the use cases. The collateral, a lot of what we created were like sales decks, logos that they could add to their website, demo videos that they can use if you have a longer one and a shorter one that they can use. More recently, we added a to our website like a persona page that outlines how marketers use cloud app, how sales teams use cloud app. And just materials like that help them share more information with customers because a lot of people will have maybe a quick 20 or 30 minute demo call and then that's it. And then they have nothing else to show for it. So we're providing a lot of materials so it's easy for them just to kind of send out a link, send out a video that they don't have to create themselves. And so regardless if they're a cloud app user or someone that's never used it, 
the collateral and the materials that we share with them are things that they'd find useful and help kind of sell and promote collateral. Great. Thanks, Sophia. Let's give her a big hand. If you like this and want more great insights on software partnerships, you've got to rate, like, and subscribe. And join us at thecloudsoftwareassociation.com. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue-generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast, and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. We'll see you on the next episode.